through their music. Out of the box with Joey Watson on FBI 94.5. Hello there, FBI radio listener. Yes, Joey Watson here. And this show is, in fact, out of the box. Every Thursday from midday to one, I get to sit down with one person and talk through stories from their life and the records which have defined them. Today, Nikhil Attar. Nikhil is a social entrepreneur, a writer, a speaker a semi-professional poker player, and a medical student. But the road to get here has been tough. During his final year of high school, Nikhil was diagnosed with leukemia. Not a decade later, Nikhil has been through 21 cycles of chemotherapy, had two bone marrow transplants, and received the highest dose of radiation possible. From the effects of his cancer, he is still carrying some life-threatening conditions, but he is alive, thriving, and is carrying one hell of a story. So on that, Nikhil, a warm welcome to the FBI radio studio and out of the box. Thank you for having me. Um, lovely to be here. Cool to share my story. Yeah. <laughs> N- Nikhil, given uh, the, the course of your life in recent years, um, I, I don't think the listener would have flinched <laughs> if I'd used the word brave uh, oh. in that introduction. But but it's not it's not a it's not a term that you uh that that you take yeah. to particularly lightly why why is that can you tell me a bit about that yeah so i guess i mean i guess it comes all into the story and the genesis of cancer and how it sort of affected me so like the way i i ended up dealing with it i mean as everyone does when you get told this horrible set of news especially at the age of 17 uh, and I got told, you know, my chances are 10 or 20%. I was shocked. I was horrified. I was afraid <laughs> for my life, as, as everyone is. Um, and, I, and I was that way. I was thinking I was cursed. I was feeling angry, frustrated, and, and just so down and depressed for so long. The, thi- the thing that ended up getting me out of that, though, it wasn't so much, you know, the, the usual motivational stuff that you hear from people. Like, I got told these stories of people who got cancer, they went on to climb mountains, and I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> How does that help me out in this situation, right? It, those, those kinds of things didn't resonate with me. And I, don't, I think it happens to a lot of people who need motivation. They, they, they don't respond to those really happy-go-lucky types. Some people do. Right, and it helps me out a lot. Me, what actually helped me out though was was me one day taking a step back from all of what had happened to me, and I I just did this little thought experiment. I said, you know what? Let's look at what had happened to me as if it had happened to someone else, right? And I think when I did that for the first time, I was able to just look at my situation and my scenario ob- objectively without all those emotions getting in the way. And from there, it, it, it didn't take bravery or, or courage or strength or anything like that. It, it only made sense from there to take the path that left me happiest and healthiest. And I mean, at the time, I really couldn't see that much to be happy about, right? And there wasn't really that many options. But again, like with all my doubts and fears, it's that same sort of process that I took. I took a step back. I questioned every one of my doubts and obstacles. And... I kept doing that until I found a second, better way of looking at things. And I think that's something that anyone can do with any scenario, any challenge that they have in their life. It, and, and and from there, you know, it, it didn't take bravery, it didn't take willpower. It only, it only made sense 
to just try and focus on the things that I could control, right? Trying to eat as healthy as possible, trying to follow my doctor's orders, be as hygienic as possible, reduce the chances of infection, all those things that could help me out. My chemo, you know, I was afraid <laughs> as, as anyone is, and I knew it was going to be painful. But when I took that step back, again, I asked myself, look, why was I just looking at it as something that brought pain? Wasn't it also a medicine? You know, the thing that could get me out of this? Me being diagnosed young, I, I really thought that was a curse. And it was. It did suck to get it young. But doesn't that also mean that I, I could get the hardest treatments possible? I had family on my side rather than one to care for, right? So I think I still had so many things on my side. And it, it didn't take courage. It didn't take bravery. It didn't even take too much willpower to, to, to get to that point where I could start seeing that. It just took a bit of time. It just took that step back, talking to other people as well, finding different ways of looking at things, and picking the one that made the most sense. Let's go back uh, to the beginning of this. Yeah, yeah. What happened to you during your first term of year 12? So I guess year 12, it started off, like, I mean, me, I'd always been a little bit studious, you know, a bit of a nerd, love my reading, and... Uh, also love my basketball and all that kind of stuff, but I think I really noticed things are starting to go wrong in, in year 12. What was happening to you? So, I mean, at first I thought it was a HSE stress. <laughs> I was just very tired um, all the time. I was stressed out. Um, but then it got to a point where, like, I couldn't even run one court sprint, like one length up and down the basketball court without my legs feeling like lead. I, I had... An infection, a, a cold that just wouldn't budge for a couple of weeks. And that happened like, you know, in the middle of my mid-sems, which are like, you know, the, the, the half your marks sort of thing in, in high school. And I was sleeping 16 hours a day at one point, just before my half yearlies. And this was me. I, I, I wanted to study medicine. I guess I grew up watching uh, MASH, right? So mm. I wanted to be Hawkeye Pierce, the, the, the doctor who sort of went in, had a laugh and challenged, you know, and, and helped people out while also putting a smile on people's faces. So, yeah, so that was really odd for me what to, happened? to be sleeping that long. And that's when I realized something must be going on. What happened when you went to visit your GP for the first time, Nikhil? So, so the first time I went in, I told him all these things. I, th I told him, like, you know, I feel like I'm dying, literally. And uh, I think this is a thing with a lot of youth cancers. Um, that's the last thing that they expect because cancer's like it, it usually typically affects older people, right? Um, but yeah, he sent me away the first time with some antibiotics. Second time I went away, away again and came back with some more antibiotics three weeks later. And then the third time is when we demanded, hey, I at least should be getting a blood test done, right? And then got the blood test done. And on that afternoon, I, I think I'll still remember this day, like I was sitting in the backyard patting my dog and, you know, just, just sitting by the pool, just relaxing when the phone rang. And they said, Nikhil, you've got to go to emergency. And even 17-year-old me, before med school or anything, even I knew at that time, if I was getting rushed through emergency when people were, you know, screaming outside in the waiting room and stuff like that, that something must be up. And, yeah, eventually I went through. I saw the words bone marrow failure written on my chart somewhere and I'd, I'd read that before in a in a book somewhere and Did you know what it meant and I, I didn't know at that time but I, I asked dad you know is that leukemia because it's something one of my uncles went through not the same 
not a blood related uncle, so it wasn't the same disease, but I'd, I'd seen him go through the treatments and all that. And I, and I asked him and he, he looked at me dead in the eye and he's like, no, because I think he remembered those times that I was going through that as well. But a couple of days later, this man walked in, he told me, Nikhil, the good news is you're 17 and you have leukemia, but the bad news is you're 17 and you have leukemia. And yeah, that's how it was broken to me. I was at the, at the, at the beginning, I was like, why would you say it in that way, right? Like, where is any good in this? But you know what? Those words were something I ended up latching onto because like I said before, like when I took a step back, I saw myself as being cursed at having cancer so young, but the good news was I was 17 when I had leukemia, right? And the, the doctors, they wouldn't be doing all of the stuff they were doing, right? Putting me through the chemos, bone marrow transplants, all these risky things, if they didn't think I had a chance. And my 10 or 20% chance, when I took a step back and I questioned everything, wasn't it just that, like a, a chance to get through this? Why didn't I try and do everything I could to, to, to try and up my chances as much as I could and just focus on that, on what I could control? And that's ultimately, I think, what's, what's kept me sane <laughs> as well as maybe here as well. What can we uh, play up the top here, Nikhil? So I guess at the top, well, I'd, I'd have to say one more time, uh, the Mayan and Shane remix. That's something that just used to get me to smile during cancer and chemo. And I think you always need something like that while you're going through some of the tougher times in your life. And like even now, you'll probably watch me soon, middle of the song, I'll be smiling when that drop comes. So yeah, let's do it. <laughs>
just feel it Celebration tonight Celebrate Don't wait too late No You don't stop You can't stop We're gonna celebrate One more time One more time, a celebration. You know we're gonna do it all right tonight. Hey, just feeling music's got me feeling the need, need. Yeah, come on, alright. We're gonna celebrate one more time. Celebrate and dance so free. Music's got me feeling so free. Celebrate and dance so free. One more time. Music's got me feeling so free. We're gonna celebrate. Celebrate and dance so free. One more time. Music's got me feeling so free. We're gonna celebrate. Celebrate and dance so free. One more time, you just got me feeling so free. We're gonna celebrate, celebrate and dance so free. One more time, you just got me feeling so free. We're gonna celebrate, celebrate and dance so free. One more time, you just got me feeling so free. We're gonna celebrate, celebrate and dance so free. One more time, you just got me feeling so free. We're gonna celebrate, celebrate and One more time, you just got me feeling so free. We're gonna celebrate, celebrate and dance so free. One more time, you just got me feeling so free. We're gonna celebrate, celebrate and dance so free. One more time, you just got me feeling so free. We're gonna celebrate. One more time, feeling so free. We're gonna celebrate. Okay, all right. That was one more time of Daft Punk remixed by Myon and Shame and brought in today by Nikhil Ota, who is uh, only recently emerging from a battle with childhood leukemia. Nikhil, how do you break it to your friends at school that you have life-threatening cancer? So the the actual way I broke it to my friends was was pretty funny. Um, it was over Facebook one day. I told everyone, you know, in the middle of year twelve, um, you know, mates you grew up with for six years straight in high school, and I told everyone, you know, I'll be I'll be away from school for a while. Don't worry, guys, I'll be alright. Someone's like, Nikhil, what happened? And I'm like, I got cancer, lol. Like literally, that was the line I, I said at the time. <laughs> and, <laughs> How did and, they react? And everyone was like, WTF? <laughs> and like, you know, we had a little bit of a laugh after that. But you know what? That was social media. Like for all the, the, the woes we, we like, you know, project onto it. It, it, it kept me connected to people mm. during chemo and during some of the toughest times of my life, even after the cancer, because treatment's not always done with cancer with a lot of patients. Um, when I had to be, you know, isolated and alone, I always had someone to talk to. And... It was, I was really happy that I did break it to, to my mates that way. <laughs> uh, not just because of the meme, but because <laughs> it kept me with a lot of support the whole way through. 
How, how do you treat leukemia, Nikhil? So I guess with me, I had uh, something called acute myeloid leukemia. So a lot of childhood cancers, um, they're, they're more acute lymphoblastic leukemia. It's called ALL. And there's, there's various treatments for it. But for me, I had a particularly risky one. Um, they caught it pretty late. So the, the major treatment for that it, um, that I got was a bone marrow transplant. And I've actually had two of them because I relapsed at one stage. So what they do is, first off, they, they pump in a lot of chemo, try and kill as many of the cancer cells as possible, try and bring it under control, which it wasn't at the time. Luckily, it did come back under control. And what they do in a bone marrow transplant procedure is they give you someone else's bone marrow, right? Because it's not your, uh, it's not actually your bone marrow that's leukemic. It's the stem cells that make your blood, which is what constitutes your bone marrow, that was cancerous. So they gave me someone else's stem cells, not just to get, you know, a huge dose of chemo and radiation into me that would otherwise leave me dead and not let my cells recover, but also to get their immune system built up in me. So the, the idea is, even though you're matched to someone and, you know, you, you have a one in three-ish chance of being matched to a sibling, if you have a sibling, my brother was useless. Nah, I, I, I just had to say that. I just had to say that. Nah, he, he's been awesome. You'll hear about how awesome he is later. But, like, he wasn't a match for me. He wasn't a match. But there is a process which they go through um, called the bone marrow donor registry, and they're, they're connected to all the world's registries. So even if you're... Even if it's like a one in a million chance, essentially, that you'll be matched to someone else, the, the chances are there's, there's an okay chance that you will match to someone. Um, the thing is, it can be hard for people like me. I'm an Indian. Um, so minorities, especially, we have lower rates of blood donation, lower rates of joining this registry. And so my chances of getting a match was actually really low, especially not just because of that, that you know, minority thing that was already giving me a 50-50 chance, but my mom apparently had a rare HLA subtype, they call it, so she had I, I inherited her rare sort of set, but somehow I got five matches. And yeah, so that, that was very lucky, but I encourage anyone listening on to join that registry if they can, because it's, it's so super simple. Like it, all, if you're giving blood anyway, all you gotta do is ask for an extra form, they'll take an extra 10 mils, and then you're on that list for the rest of your life. And there's only a one in 400 chance you'll be called up. And even if you are called up to be a bone marrow donor, which is like, you know, an amazing honor, you'll get a one-on-one -on -one chance of saving someone's life. Your, your bone marrow, first off, it always replenishes. So you are like the risk to the donor is minimal. Um, and in 90% plus of cases, because they need your stem cells, not your actual bone marrow, right? They can literally take it out of one arm throw your, the rest of the blood back into the other arm and take out the stem cells that they need. Even for me, they never, like, the only times they had to invade my bone marrow was when they did biopsies to check on the leukemia. Like, when I got my transplants, both of them, um, I literally had it as a blood infusion into my arm, essentially, and the stem cells, they find their way into your bone marrow. So Is that painful? What, how does that happen? So, like, I mean, the, the bone marrow biopsies, where they check up on me and the leukemia, those were painful. The stem cell transplant and donating stem cells, though, that was literally just a blood infusion. And I had a port in anyway, um, so I had a central line in, they call it. And, like, but even if I didn't, <laughs> I mean... I think pretty much everyone who gets a bone marrow transplant will have some sort of line, but it's literally just, you know, it's like an infusion of blood. If you've, if you've ever seen those drips that you see in hospital shows and stuff, it's literally just getting that but a blood product that's a bit more involved. 
the follow-up treatment for that is is different. So on the patient side, like, you know, there's a risk because I've got someone else's immune system now, it's their stem cells. I've actually, I'm actually producing someone else's blood. So it's like the opposite of a normal transplant. Instead of me and my immune system rejecting the organ that I've got, the organ or his stem cells that I've got is actually rejecting my skin, my lungs, and a few other, other organs inside me. So like... That's that's the side effect of the treatment that I've gotten. And that's why I've got, you know, these chronic side effects and some of them are a bit life-threatening, but that's okay. Mm. I'll, I, I deal with them. We're managing I, them. I want to come to those uh, in, in a, little, yeah. a little bit later. But yeah. um, mm-hmm. firstly, I mean, during the, during the treatment, yeah. do you get the opportunity to get out or is this completely mm-hmm. all-encompassing to your life? Do you get the opportunity to exercise, for example? Yeah. So, like, I mean... That's that's a, a one good thing was every time after chemo, I'd get two or three weeks break in the between to try and recover, to get yourself back up and healthy. They, they encourage you to exercise during hospital as well, right? But in the middle of those breaks, I guess that's what I used to just, I guess that's where the, the motivation that I got for myself to, to try and build my chances up as much as I could, to just be as healthy as I could, that's where that came in play. And that's where I'd go out and do fun things as well. What sort of fun, fun things would you do? Ah, uh, so, so I guess one of them I'd say, um, something I remember telling my doctors about and they were a bit iffy on, was deep sea fishing. So... <laughs> Deep sea fishing, is that, yeah. an, is that an interest that you'd had before? I guess I always loved my fishing, right, growing up. I think I caught the biggest fish on one trip that we went on when I was five, and I just I was hooked, pun intended, from then on. And, and I guess from there, I was just like, there's a bit of a YOLO mentality as well. Um, even though you're going out into the middle of the ocean uh, on a cold winter's day, um, and without being able to see land, my doctors were a bit like, Nikhil, is that really the best idea to maybe be doing that just after chemo? I was like, I just went through all this hell. Let's go out there. Let's go catch some fish. And yeah, those are some of the best times of my life. We caught a shark one time when we went out. So, so and, deep sea yeah. fishing is that you go so far out into the ocean that you can't see land. Yeah. I, I mean, there's, there's different forms. Like, I mean, you can go very, very far out and you can try and catch the bigger species. But I mean, I think most of the time we could see land um, and you could see like the shore, but you're fishing in like, you know, 50 to 80 meters of water. So it is, it is a bit tiring, but it's really good exercise, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I needed that exercise and it was fun. And I still remember like there were sometimes we'd be fishing and there, there, I'd be fishing with my cousin, you know, who's my best friend, my dad on the other side, my second best friend in a way, and whales would be coming underneath our boat. Like, I could just hitch a ride to Antarctica, I felt. If I jumped out and grabbed one, there'd be seals, you'd be bringing up fish, and the, the, I guess the whole thing that got me into fishing was just the whole challenge of trying to predict which baits were right for which conditions and the strategy involved. And when a plan works out, you get a fish in your line, you just... You just it's, it's exhilarating, not just, it's not just pulling up a fish and, you know, that, that sort of action that's fun, which it is, but it's, it's all the thought that goes into it, all the, and just being part of nature, you know, just getting out of hospital. Um, that was huge. And yeah. What, do, what, what can we play now in tribute to your, oh, to your, it, your 
chemo fishing career. So definitely the next song that we're going to play, Tease Me by Chucker Demus and Pliers. I, I don't know. I'm going to stuff that name up. But yeah, that song during chemo, uh, it's also something like, you know, me and my brother, we were always, we, you know, we weren't the closest of brothers, but we were always friends, right? But when he had to become my carer, essentially, during hospital, me and him would, would sing this song to the, to, to the bottom of our lungs so much that the neighbours would be knocking on the door and they'd be like, shut up, you idiots. And especially when that line came up, catching a big fish, like, we were all over that. So let's, let's play that. Let's go. Oh, Lord. She gave me one smile, two smile, three smile. She got me going wild. Work more than diamonds and pearls. So, pearl. baby, don't change your style. Sweet honey. Oh, no, no, love. Tease me, tease me, tease me, tease me, baby. Till I lose control. Tease me with your love until I lose control. Become my body. That song there, Tease Me, Chuck Demis and Pliers, brought on to FBI today by Nikhil Otter. He is a motivational speaker and the survivor of childhood cancer. But for something completely different, Nikhil, how did you first encounter the game of poker? <laughs> so poker, it's something... Um, so so, so after, after cancer, you know, it's especially the treatment I got, two bone marrow transplants, 
it, uh, treatment didn't end right after that. And something I developed a couple of years after, uh, probably early 2014, was I started getting these cramps and spasticity. It's maybe hard for the viewer to see, but sometimes you might see me twitching and cramping. That's, that's a result of that, right? And so poker was actually something, you know, I think we just grew up watching it. It's, you see it on TV and it's like, cool, these guys are betting so much money and they're making, they're making all these cool things happen, right? But then what I used to do was, because I was in a lot of pain, right, sitting at home, um, dad used to force me and take me out to RSL clubs and, and just like, you know, places where you could play poker, put in zero dollars and win a couple hundred sometimes. But also, like, you could play, like, small buy-ins. But the main reason I got out and played was just to get my mind off the pain because I'd be cramping at home, I'd be stuck on my desk not wanting to move all night, or I could, I could be at an RSL talking to friends, making people, right? And I, it's something that I just love doing. It was something to get my mind off things. And then I fell in love with the strategy behind the game when I realized that there is like, you know, a really cool, it's not just, you know, people either think of it as it's just gambling or it's just completely skill, right? It, there's a lot of components to it. And when I started, when I started realizing there's a really a strategy element as well as a mathematical one, right? Um, that's when I really started getting into the game and playing online. And I realized I was making, I was making money from it, but I really played for the love of the game. And as I kept playing, like it became more and more of a hobby and I just kept doing it. And yeah, it kept me alive, I reckon, during all those years. Tell me about going to Las Vegas for the <laughs> first time. <laughs> so that was, that was quite a, another YOLO moment of my life. So I, it was in 2016. I, I'd just been given some bad news about my lungs. So I developed a condition called bronchiolitis obliterans. And that's not a good one to have when you have had these bone marrow transplants. It's one that would probably take my life at some point. So at that point, especially, we didn't know really, like, you know, what the prognosis was and all that kind of stuff. And there's this one big poker tournament that happens every year that every poker tournament, or every poker player around the world wants to play. It's called a, the World Series of Poker main event. And that happens in Vegas every single year in July. And I was, I, I got told the bad news end of June. And what I did was I literally booked the last flight out, right? I'd made a bit of money from poker, some from scholarships, but it was still, I still had to pony up that $10,000 buy-in, right? And that was a lot of money for me at the time, especially. And, I, but at the time as well, I was just like, I, 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 I really don't have a choice because who knows how many chances I'll get to do this in life. But I flew out with my brother, took him on a holiday as well. And we went out, I, I played on the first day, I got to play next to a guy who's, who just, you know, who plays million dollar hands on TV. He was sitting on my right. There was a guy across the table who just won a $250,000 buy-in tournament. And that was like, and he was just like, you know, talk, they were talking amongst themselves as if, hey, this is just my daily sort of thing. There's little old me scared with my chips. You know, <laughs> the most money I'd ever seen in my life on, on the table at one point. And yeah, I played three or four days of the best poker of my life. You know, in a, in a tournament sort of situation, you can get out on any single hand. And I played probably a thousand hands or something like that. Somehow I held my own with the pros. I made enough money to go back the next couple of years as well. And <laughs> yeah, that was the Vegas story. <laughs> did, did the people that you were 
playing against know what you were dealing with? Um, I guess, I mean, at the time, because of poker is a game of, um, you know, uh, a psychological game as well, you don't really want to give away any weaknesses or any, any if, you, if you give away that you, this is really, really big for you sort of thing, they'll take advantage of that and they might be more aggressive against you and then that'll force me to lose chips, right, to them. So I was trying to just act like I was cool, I was one of these guys, this is just another day for me, but at the end of each day, like, we, we chat afterwards because you, you don't play the same players. Like, you can move tables, you move tables every single day that you play. So at the end of the day, it's very unlikely that you play against the same sort of people unless you're at the very end of the stages of the tournament. At that point, you've made a few million. So <laughs> that, that wasn't the case with me in that town, unfortunately. But yeah, we'd, we'd talk and we'd talk, share stories. I got to share them, share mine with some of the best poker players in the world, people I sort of idolized, see on TV and YouTube all the time. And it was really, really amazing. I would have been happy if I came home and, and lost it because I got an amazing experience out of it. But... I did a little bit better and it's helped me now. I've, I've been able to start up my own business with my poker winnings and hopefully that business was able to give back as well. And that's, that's what I'm working on these days. While I can't get back into the wards, I'm in medical school, but not able to jump into the wards for my own immune system's sake right now. So that keeps me busy and yeah, it's something that can hopefully impact people too. And it, and all, it all comes back to poker. What, yeah. what can we play in tribute to, uh, in tribute to Vegas? In tribute to <laughs> Vegas. In tribute to Vegas. And I guess the whole idea that you always have two, you know, two separate choices and two separate ways of looking at things. Let's go to River Runs Deep by Nomads. I think it's a really good... It's, it's a rap story sort of song that just highlights you always have two different paths that you can follow in life and always pick the one that leads you to the most happiness and healthiness as possible. It's something you will always have a choice on, even though it doesn't always seem that way. But hopefully this encourages you to make the, the, the one that helps you out most. Yo, I once knew a man, he started off a boy His whole damn life, he never really been employed He was only 19, had the chance to go to college Try out his luck, see if he could gain knowledge Think about your life, or whatever you call it Now he's just a cluck, that broke alcoholic Used to keep a picture of his girl in his wallet Think about your life, or whatever you call it He walk home late, cause the city don't sleep He was only 19, but the river runs deep Wrote raps in his head, so he didn't really speak About the crushed up pills that he took in one week One week turned into two Two weeks turned to four, now long-term addiction Knocking at his door, started losing weight Coming late, looking drunk And his family and friends said he was up to something Got to the point where he couldn't even function Calling up his dealer, begging, please give me something I just got evicted and I ain't got nothing The dealer was a prick, his reply was reluctant I could get you high off the shit nobody fuck with Even all the beans know better than to touch it He was 19, begging, please give me something Said to the kid, I don't know if you can trust it But I got a lot, so push it to the pub Watch out for the cops and the rats on some thug shit Here's for your protection Lenny knew this pistol Pretending that it's pure But he knew that it was crystal Looked like shards of glass Said I hope this ain't an issue Plus if you snitch Where your mother gonna miss you Now he's lost his path School and direction Kicked out his pad After landlord inspection All he ever had was his rhymes and a dream Now he's living on the streets At the age of 19 Feel the meth in his lungs And the sun starts to tweet Never saw 21 Y'all the river runs deep 
Yo, I once knew a man, he started off a boy His whole damn life, he never really been employed Until he turned 19, got a job at the college Working on the radio where he could spread knowledge He thought about his life, how he wanted to recall it Still, he barely ever had a dollar in his wallet He quit smoking weed, figured that he needed time So that he could make a difference in other people's lives Started saving money, cleared out his mind No longer drinking, just thinking about his rhymes Yo, we walk home late, cause the city don't sleep He was only 19, but the river runs deep Yo, we walk home late Cause the city don't sleep He was only 19 But the river runs deep Wrote raps in his head So he didn't really speak To his homies About the books That he read in one week One week turned to two Two weeks turned to four Plus on the side Labels knocking at his door Started gaining fame He'd be gone away for months And family and friends Said well isn't he something Worked at the food bank A block from the ab Where this guy smoked meth And kept rocks in a bag Told the kid he was grateful That he was helping out Cause he knew firsthand He could've gone another route The river runs deep Kid please hold on. The people that we meet, the only thing to keep us strong. He could have been selfish, could have lost it all. Said he graduated early, no Adderall. Called up his producer, the one that he trusted. Said to the homie, yo, please give me something. This guy was a dick, his reply was reluctant. Now we gotta find some new beast that he can fuck with. I can make you rich if you switch to this club shit. He was 19, begging, please give me something. Gave the kid gimmicks, said push it to the public. Pretended it was pure, but he knew it was corrupted. You have to go solo, we hope this ain't an issue. Your family and friends leave behind they won't miss you this guy was a douchebag he hung up the call started self-promoting thinking really fuck them all recording every day then he posted on his blog freestyle clear instead of spitting through the fog best decision that he made quitting beer twisting logs now we live with no fear said he listened to the gods cause all he ever had was his rhymes and a dream now he's getting signed to sony at the age of 19 first west coast tour than the whole u.s now everywhere we go new girl new dress sold out shows now money ain't a stress he was only 19 someone say he was the best getting underground respect now the same labels calling offering him checks to put money in his wallet think about your life for whatever you call it remember when he used to think he'd be an alcoholic and still barely ever had a dollar in his wallet battle with addiction and almost left college but held himself together so that he could spread knowledge think about your life for whatever you call it there once was a time when the sun felt weak now he's king at 21 y'all the river runs deep That track there was Nomads and River Runs Deep, brought into FBI Radio today by speaker, writer, doctor in training, and child cancer survivor, <laughs> Nikhil Otter. He is my guest on Out of the Box. Mm-hmm. Nikhil, what did you learn talking to other cancer patients during your treatment? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, having someone else there who'd been through it all. That really helped me out a lot during my whole cancer experience. I guess I had that mentality, that attitude that sort of get me, got me through, got me starting to focus on the things I could control, right, that I talked about earlier, taking a step back, focusing on trying to figure out the best path for me going forwards. But at the same time, there was this really scary thing that was in front of me. When I saw another cancer patient for the first time, she she literally changed my life. Like, it just gave me... She gave me so many little tips and tricks first off that would, you know, help me through chemo and the the bone marrow transplant I was about to get. But it gave me a sense of there's another side to this, right? I could actually survive and get back into into life. And yeah, like since once that happened, I, I, I always, you know, put up my hand whenever I told my nurses, if anyone wants to talk. I'm always here. I always, you know, I'm volunteering for a couple of cancer charities like 
ones that I'm representing today, like the Sony Foundation and Tour de Cure. Um, but yeah, I think there was there was one patient in particular though, which I I learned a lot from. And yeah, I, w I won't say his real name, but his he, his name was Frank. I, I met him um, at a point, you know, similar to me, where he was going to be getting treatment similar to me. He'd actually had a relapse and he had another form of cancer, but yeah, he 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 got through all the treatment, right? And I and I and I'd been talking to him through that whole process, and I think I gave him what that lady gave to me when I was going about to go through the bone marrow transplant. I gave him someone. Uh, another side to the experience, uh, uh, like, you know, a patient's sort of perspective, which really gets through a lot more than anything, I guess, you can explain from a doctor, from an expert, even even though those are the people who you end up trusting a lot in hospital. Just hearing it from someone, the horse's mouth, I guess, that really helped me out. And I, 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 I walked with him through that whole process. And this, this Frank, was he also a child, a child cancer patient? So he patient? was diagnosed when he was a child, but then he relapsed, like, I believe, seven or eight years after with another form of cancer to mine. But he, he was getting a bone marrow transplant like I was. Where did you first meet him? So I first met him at Liverpool Hospital, which is where I was diagnosed as well. And yeah, so I met him. We got talking. I got in touch with his family, and uh, I kept, you know, visiting him whenever I could. Whenever I was in, when I was getting treatments anyway. So bone marrow transplants—they do them at St Vincent's Hospital in the city. So that's where we used to meet because I would still get my follow-up appointments there. And while I was there anyway, I'd say hey to him and see his family catch up. But yeah, after a while, actually, Frank ended up passing away um, very, very suddenly due to. And pneumonia, and that's I think where I got my first taste of depression for the first time because, you know, um, just just seeing someone and being so close to them, and then seeing someone so young, he had like you know a little child. It, it made no sense. It 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 was completely and utterly unfair. And for weeks after that, I remember that I was just laying in bed wondering what's the point of all of this. And it wasn't until I started talking to someone, that someone for me was dead at the time, that I, I managed to find a second way of looking at things again. And I, I, I remember telling myself, you know, in the end, and this is something true, I think, for anyone who's lost someone, um, in the end, Frank, he would have wanted me to, to, to go on, to keep smiling, to be as happy and successful as possible. Those who we love, every single one of us, every single one of them, they'd want the best for us. And and second, I also figured that he still lived on through how he'd affected me, through how he'd affected everyone else in his life. You know, he was he was a guy who would be able to smile in the face in the face of cancer and pain. That's something that will definitely stay with his family forever. And that's something that'll stay with me. And he's also taught me, you know, as someone who will be a future doctor at some point, someone who's interacted with a lot of patients and I now I talk about this at doctor wellness conferences and things like that as well. In the end, like we we have to be healthy and happy ourselves to be able to give the most that we can to others. But also it even if we can't make a difference, we can't change the outcome, that's something we just have to accept. Something mash, you know, that was something I watched growing up. One of the, I think one of the best quotes I heard from that was that rule number one of war, same with medicine and of, of life, is that young people die. And rule number two is that doctors can't change rule number one. And that, that will always be the case. But 
that doesn't mean I didn't make an impact because in the end, you know, the, I, in his last days, I had I had given him a friend, someone to talk to, someone who could, you know, he could confide in, and I'd made his last days that little bit better. Since then, I'd also talked to other patients who told me, you know, the barbecue we held with their family on Father's Day that was one of the best moments that they remembered on their deathbed. Me, the the things that changed my life with my doctors, they weren't the life changing you know medical decisions that they made that i mean i'm appreciative of them don't get me wrong there but it was actually like you know the times they talk about fishing <laughs> before treatment um the times uh they'd you know hold my hand as i was going into a biopsy because they knew i was scared my doctor he actually wrote into the medical entrance board essentially telling them even though i had i was in the middle of chemo when the medical entrance exams were happening He's like, this guy, he should get a chance to sit it, right? Why is this bureaucracy not letting him? So he ended up changing my life. And that didn't take anything huge. It didn't take anything extraordinary. It just took a letter that took him two minutes to write, I guess. Mm. That, that really, that, that has changed my life. What, and what that's can, something anyone can do. What can we play in tribute to, to Frank and the other cancer patients that yeah. you so met I think, throughout your journey? I think um, something that this has all inspired me to, to try and do is try and give back as much as I can. And this song means a lot to different people, but Fix You by Coldplay, it's something that it, it reminded me of the times, I guess, that doctors and people can make a difference and that people, how many people there are trying to do that. And that's something I think anyone can do at any point so yeah i love this song and i'd love it to go on next when you get what you want but not what you need when you feel so tired but you can't sleep stuck in
Fix You by Coldplay, brought in courtesy of Nikhil Otter today on Out of the Box. He is walking us through his journey with childhood leukemia for a few moments longer. Mm-hmm. Nikhil, what is chronic pain? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the chronic pain, it's what got me into poker, you may have heard just before, but it's also something that just took over my life for a long time. And it's 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 really hard to explain, you know, chronic illnesses to someone who's healthy, but it's something that's always in the back of your mind. And especially with pain, um, it literally malforms your mind and it rewires its circuitry to try to make you more sensitive to pain, to make you more emotional, to make you... Your attentional centers, for instance, they fire a lot more as well when you're in that. And then that what does that mean me, for you going through it? So me, I was I was super super depressed. And that's me, you know, someone who'd managed to find something to smile about ten minutes after being told he had relapsed, and you know, told palliative care might be the best option. That was something that happened. I found something to smile about ten minutes after, but I still couldn't realize just how depressed I was because of the chronic pain I was feeling for a whole year. It actually took so much time for me to be able to get that help. And I think it's something, we've seen some high profile deaths, Robin Williams, um, Avicii, you know, they've they've taken their own life to to suicide. Anyone can can sort of be depressed. And it, 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 it actually was harder, I reckon, to deal with than cancer, because with the cancer, at least I could, see that second way around of things, right? I could take a step back from everything and question and find that second better way of looking at things. But with depression, it took that ability away because everything becomes centered around that. You, you, what ended up getting me out though was actually me going out and getting help and talking to someone. And I was crying out for help for a while, but it was actually my doctor, <laughs> the original one who treated me uh, at Liverpool Hospital, who got me to instead of doing something drastic one day, and I didn't realize just how suicidal even that I was, even though that's me as well, someone who's spoken (laughs) to so many depressed people who's been through depression before, I didn't realize just how badly affected I was. But I went and talked to my doctor rather than, you know, walking in front of a train. That was something I was thinking of doing. I managed to get some help right then and there because I knew there was someone there who'd care for me. And I managed after that now, like, I mean, I got some antidepressants at the time. I actually prescribed myself one that I knew would also help with the chronic pain. And that actually fixed the pain for a long time. But nowadays I'm able to deal with it without that. I I went to and saw a psychiatrist and, you know, the very things that sort of push you away from psychiatry, the, the things that make you afraid of it is actually the thing that makes talking to a professional or friend that much better. Like they literally don't have to be in your life your whole time. They legally can't tell anyone else what you're saying, so there's no fear of judgment, and they're literally professional at it. So anyone out there, um, there are so many support services out there that can help you. You're not alone if you're out there feeling those things. You're not weak. You're not ungrateful. Anyone can go through it, and I highly encourage you to reach out, and I'm always here as well. Nikhil Orta, um, I mean, that you can just find me on Facebook. My blog's name is Musings of a Med Student Patient. But yeah, <laughs> Nikhil, a, a, a sentimental end to a mm-hmm. momentous story. How can we play out this episode of Out of the Box? So uh, the last song I guess we'll play is Fort Collins by Hobson. So he's he's a rapper. He's known for calling out, you know, all these 
big shot rappers and, you know, doing his crazy own thing. But he made this very real song about how much depression had affected him. And it, I think it really reaches out to so many because he's, he's a very real rapper as well. And he, he gets out to so many people. And I remember when I was down as well, the songs like that he writes about these kinds of things, they really touched me and they really made me realize just how much help I needed as well. So this goes out to all you guys who they are suffering silently. You're not alone. I'd just like to say an enormous thank you to my producers, Bree and Nicole, and to Nikhil Alter. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us on Out of the Box today. No worries. It was an honor being here. Yeah. All righty. I was on the Night Madness tour. I was mad about it. I half-assed my album because I really didn't know what I was rapping for. I was going through a breakup and that was hard. I wasn't in my right mind, nigga, that's for sure. Every night I was praying and I would ask the Lord to please give me strength so I don't slam the door on my fans. But no luck, I was stuck. Even though a nigga had a plus-size buzz, I didn't even know who the fuck I was. I tried so hard to see a plus-side, but I couldn't find the spark inside the dark. Even with my crew saying nice remarks, it felt like some darts were stuck inside my heart. I was thinking that a brand new life to start, but I couldn't leave. I made a commitment on my off time the fans invaded my business so i started feeling the gang of resentment flipping on everybody when they ain't even did shit i needed to go home and gather my thoughts i didn't want suicide as the result so the night in my four college show before i hit the stage i left through the back for a walk and no one saw i thought i was going up to the store to get a drink or something then a voice had told me to keep walking and do not step foot on that stage for nothing so i kept on walking then I camped out up in an abandoned house. I hated this rap shit and I hated my life. The spotlight does that when you can't get out. Cause I've been on this road, trying to get high from my low. Won't somebody tell me where to go, please? Cause I don't know. I might be crazy. Living life like a circus egg that's strapped into a car seat. And I'm hoping that y'all can forgive me. Four colors, I'm sorry. Four colors, I'm sorry. Four colors, I'm sorry. Four colors, I'm sorry. Feel so right lately. Don't know where I'm going tonight, baby. It just doesn't feel so right. Don't know where I'm going tonight. Someone got me to the light. Place. I got a girl back home. Yeah. God knows she the sweetest thing on earth. I can't sleep on her. But there's too many women on tour and I try not to cheat on her. Man, my options for pussy are unrealistic. There's bitches who give up a lung for this dick. My music be leaving a sprung and twisted. The average nigga would have fun with this shit. That's real. Here is a secret. You don't have to keep it between you and I. Upcoming rappers who got to be touring. I promise the road will eat you alive. But you know this shit when you rise. And by no surprise, I'm not gonna feed into the lies. No, I'm not gonna say that you wrong. But I'm not gonna say that you right. It's hard to keep quiet. When all I do is hold you down. Yeah. I know you 
you then well i feel like i know you now i know you had a little doubt but to hop off stage and find out you done walked out and you're not taking nobody calls you don't want to deal with it but i'm looking at these fans like damn it's a lot of y'all you got me tripping with the bodyguard like nigga how the fuck you lose the headliner now i don't care that you left the show i just wish you would have let me know because i don't know if you've been kidnapped or know somebody from the city where they live at but the way you went about it make it hard for me to feel bad honestly it made a nigga real mad because i'm texting you like hot the devil just testing you when four collins got respect, respect for you when that's why the next day you was like This podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts.